When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Recording. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Fail Like an Artist with your hosts, Julie Battisti and me, Phoebe Ganza, a podcast discussing all the ways we've failed as artists with insight, advice and humour. Each episode, we will discuss a failure and what we've learnt from it. Howdy doody, Phoebe. Howdy doody, Julie. How are you? How are you failing? I'm failing really well today, thanks. How are you? How are you failing? Uh, I've had a good morning, actually, so that's nice. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad one of us is doing well. Yeah. yeah, it is a beautiful day. I've had a nice walk. Well, we have got a exciting guest this morning. And after our Looking for Gallery representation podcast, we mm. thought that we would see if we could get some curators. And we've got some other interesting guests coming soon as well, where we could actually ask them the questions, some of the questions that you guys asked us, because we didn't feel, I mean, we could give you our experiences, but they may not yeah. be the best answers. So today we are interviewing Amber Criswell-Bell, which is quite exciting. I've been following her for a long time. This is going to be a good good interview, I think. Like you said, it's all very well us pontificating about what gallerists want and <laughs> how to approach them and how we've done it ourselves. But to hear it from straight from the horse's mouth, so, so to speak, is definitely going to give us uh, sort of the inside scope. Obviously, every gallery is going to be different, but, well, at least to hear how... Amber, you know, creates things and what she wants when people approach is just going to be really very good nuggets of information. Yeah, absolutely. So I might just read out a little introduction for anyone who doesn't know who Amber is. Amber Cresswell-Bell is an art curator and author of books on the arts, a lifestyle writer, a speaker and an enthusiastic creative hustler. With a passion for art, Amber is recognised for championing and educating emerging and unrepresented artists. She's currently the director of Emerging Art for Michael Reed Galleries, creating both the Emerging Art and Ceramics programmes. In 2001, Amber established the National Emerging Art Prize, or the NEAP as it's known, in collaboration with Michael Reed. Amber has published five art books with Thames and Hudson to date, 
Her first book, Clay, released in October 2016, showcases over 50 contemporary ceramic artisans from Australia and abroad. Amber's second book, A Painted Landscape, released in October 2018, profiles the diverse work of 50 of Australia's, land- Australia's landscape painters. 2021 saw the release of Amber's monograph on artist Ken Doan, Art, Design, Life, as well as Still Life, a compilation of Australian life, still life painters. Her most recent book, Australian Abstract, was released in March 2023, and she has two more books in production. So she is a busy, busy woman. She's a busy lady. She's like, makes you look lazy, Julie. She's got kids too, <laughs> so she's, she's juggling all the Incredible. things. Incredible. I just feel like, what am I? Am I made of stone? Why don't I do anything? <laughs> I, why haven't I, I written two books this year? <laughs> I revisited the Artwork podcast and Willie Russo's podcast interviews with Amber recently because mm-hmm, I listened same. to them when they first came out, but it had been a while. Yeah. And I remember it was interesting. She's another one who's not super keen on sleep. So yeah, I yeah, feel a little bit of a kinship there. I wish I was like that. I hate that I need sleep. It's so time consuming <laughs> I want to be like Margaret Thatcher no I don't want to be like Margaret Thatcher <laughs> I want to be you like want able to survive on four hours sleep and still be productive all right anyway let's invite Amber on awesome welcome Amber very excited to chat to you I'm not sure if you got a chance to listen to our episode on approaching a gallery and trying to build a relationship but we ended up getting lots of questions from our listeners about what we should, what they should do. And Phoebe and I sort of chatted and we're like, we don't know if we're the best people to be answering mm. those questions because we feel like we've got lots of failures that we can talk about. We've had a few successes, but that's very like we've got a limited amount of um, yeah, experience, experience that we can talk to. And so we thought of you immediately because of yeah. all of the work you've done with emerging artists and you've had such an interesting career and we wanted to definitely talk to someone with a lot of experience. So our first question is, what is the best way and time for an artist to approach a gallery? Well, I think the main thing to remember is that if you want to be taken seriously as an artist, you need to treat it like a job and not a creative hobby. So at all times, you need to put your best foot forward because you do only get that one chance mm-hmm. to make a good impression. And galleries are really busy, so it's really key that you don't waste their time. I think your first thing to note is um, to check the gallery's submission process on their website. They may or may not have Mm -hmm. one, but if they do, it's important that you follow the process that they've laid out for you. If appropriate, I would send the gallery an email with a cover letter, a short bio, an artist statement, and maybe three to five samples of your recent work. The important part of this is in your cover letter, which is just basically the body of your email, not only talk about yourself and your work, but what I want to know as a gallery director is why do you want to show with me? I want to see a tailored mm-hmm. email um, so that I don't feel that you've sent the same email to 20 other galleries across the country. It's really important that I feel you've done your mm-hmm. homework and you've looked at the gallery landscape yeah. and you've thought that we are a good match and that your work aesthetically suits the kind of work that we show. Um, I know on occasions I've received submissions from artists who have 
sent me examples of their work, which include roaring lions or um, dancing unicorns. And that's completely out of step with the kind of work that we show. So I just know that they mm-hmm. haven't approached me in particular. Um, they are just scattergunning their applications and hoping for the best. So I need to feel like you've tailored it. Um, another good way to approach a gallery is um, to send with your submission a complete and resolved body of work. And this might be 10 to 15 Mm -hmm. pieces that you've got ready to go. Because um, occasionally, due to a number of reasons, a gallery might have um, had an artist cancel at the last minute. They might have been unwell or they might not have been able to deliver the work. So if you Mm -hmm. do submit a complete body of work ready to roll, you might be in the right place at the right time. Um, and Mm. your body of work is going to slot into where we have an opening. So that's also um, another thing to be mindful of. And, um, you know, in terms of keeping the galleries, you know, being on their radar, be visible, go go to the gallery's openings, follow their social media, subscribe to their newsletters and just generally get to know the staff. Mm -hmm. And by getting to know them, I don't mean harassing them. Um, but just being familiar and showing interest in the gallery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? And I'm approaching it purely from a selfish point of view here. Of course. I do two very different um, types of work. So I do clouds and I do flowers. Mm-hmm. And whenever mm-hmm. I've approached it in different ways with different galleries. So sometimes I've sent them just one type of art if I've thought that was appropriate. But sometimes I have sent both. If someone had two really different types of art and they were wanted to approach Michael Reed, for example, mm-hmm. would you want to see both or would you just want to see whatever they thought the was best, fit, best yeah. fit for you? I'd probably like to see both, but I think it would be clear that you articulate to me that you do have two styles of work so that you're acknowledging that you recognise that, not that you look like you've just got this mixed bag of painting styles. So, yeah, yeah. just acknowledge that yeah. I, <clears throat> I do paint in two different styles. And you might say, I think my clouds might be more suitable to your gallery and explain why. But uh, there's absolutely no reason why you Mm. can't present both bodies of work and it might be nice for the gallery to see that you're a versatile artist who can paint um, different genres, yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really good to know. And again, because you you could turn around and be like, well, actually, the flowers are actually what I'm more interested in and, you know, could could be that you wouldn't necessarily um, know in yeah, advance very what true, a gallery is very looking true. for. So, mm. Mm. okay, cool. Um, so, say someone did approach you or followed the process um, as you've just talked about, and at the time you sort of felt like, oh, look, we're not taking on any people. We we've you know got too many artists doing already those similar things. Um, is there like an accepted process for following up if you haven't been accepted? Like how long would an artist kind of need to leave it before going, following up with you and sort of, you know, saying hello? Because like, you you know, is there one shot and that's mm, it? It's or? an interesting question. And I think, you know, I, I could probably say this at the beginning of any question you ask, be conscious that a gallery is really busy. So they probably have limited mm-hmm. staff and they might well be, at any one time inundated with submissions. So you do need to be patient. And they probably turn their attention to looking at submissions at a particular time of the year anyway. So it might be when they're preparing for the next um, exhibition schedule that they'll start looking at any submissions 
and not before because they're busy with the current exhibitions. Mm -hmm. So I think that you need to be patient and I wouldn't, if you haven't heard anything, I wouldn't follow up in under six months. If you do Mm -hmm. hear back from the gallery and they say not at this time, um, by all means you can um, submit again but I'd give it a year. Okay. Okay. That's good to know because I've always been of the... I don't know. I'm I'm one of those like I guess the perfectionist type of, of mentality of thinking like I want to get this right. I want to get it. I want it to be perfect. And I've only got one shot. And so I'm always waiting for it, my work to be better. And so you know that actually day might never <laughs> arrive because you you always think well the next painting might be the best one. Mm. The next painting might you know. So there's a point where it's like you actually just need to make that leap and go no approach them now. But if they turn you down or say it's not the right time you know year a year later you could try or you absolutely because artwork evolves so just because you submitted and you weren't right um now there's nothing to say that you won't be an amazing artist for us in 12 24 months and that happens all the time and mm. if i if i have time and i do try to i if, if i don't accept a submission i will usually give some feedback um so hopefully no, the artist can nice. take that on board and then come back um you know improved or um more resolved yeah Yeah. i'm gonna Mm -hmm. you've already answered my next question Mm. but i'm gonna change it a little bit just based on what you've just said so i'm just now starting to be in that process of looking at art prizes and i've heard i've heard i've heard i've heard different sorts of advice in terms of if um if you don't get in you should definitely ask the judges why you didn't get in and then i've also heard just let it go move on don't worry about it obviously it wasn't right for you I know you guys get hundreds, if not thousands, of submissions with the National Emerging mm. Art Prize. Do you give feedback? Look, with the National Emerging Art Prize, we every year for the last three years we've received over 1,500 submissions. So oh, it's goodness, almost yeah. impossible to, to give feedback to that many. Mm. Um, mm. We also have really um, highly esteemed judges who are extremely busy in their, in their field. So to mm. be able to get that, individual feedback from the judges is quite difficult um i think depending on the art prize you probably can um ask but i wouldn't expect tailored feedback because just due to the the volume of submissions Mm. yeah Mm. yeah interesting fair enough so is there a certain amount of work you should or experience that you should have before applying to a gallery uh look not necessarily and I don't think an artist submission should be based on tenure or experience. Um, I think above all else, it's the confidence in the work you're making. So what I'm looking for is an artist who is really sure of their own style and visual language and they're sort of beyond the experimenting face. Um, We need to see Mm -hmm. consistency of work and we need to feel confident that you're able to deliver a show Um, that feels cohesive and resolved. Um, Sometimes I will receive submissions which are a hodgepodge of different styles, which shows to me that um, they might be able to paint, but the work doesn't relate to each other yet and they're they're still Mm. trying to find their way. So I think that when you feel that you know your style of painting or mark making and you've got a narrative and you can... Um, fulfill a whole body of work based on that I think that's the right time 
Yeah, so if mm-hmm. you can show a whole body of work ready to go, like I said before, um, that's even better. Yeah. Can I just build on top of that question? Do you think it matters whether people have an art degree or not? Because this comes up all the time amongst our listeners. Like, do you need mm-hmm. – yeah, does it, does it matter? No, and when I do receive a submission, um, which – will hopefully have an artist's bio and their artist statement and the examples of their work, I'm always going to look at the work first before I go and read what they've sent me about their um, credentials. Same with the National Emerging Art Prize. Mm. I know that the judges are looking first and foremostly at the work before they go and read the artist's bio. So I don't think that it's important to have um, a qualification. I mean, by all means, yes, it's, it's great if you do and it often shapes... Um, an artist's um, way of working but if you can paint or draw or you make ceramics in a way that's compelling and beautiful and um, substantial then I'm Mm. certainly going to you're going to get my attention and I'm going to talk to you further yeah Mm. awesome can I just ask sorry before we go on just pull a bit out of what you just said then um with with the emerging art prize can you what how does one know whether they they're emerging or if they've emerged? I think it's such a grey area, and people are confused by what emerging means. And we were very cognizant of that. So the definition that we put in the terms and conditions on our website was that you are considered emerging unless you have um, an exclusive um, representation with a commercial gallery. So if you're represented, you're probably no longer emerging, you're mid-career and you're on your way. It's not anything to do with experience or age. You can be a 65-year-old emerging artist and you're absolutely welcome to apply. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of our loose um, definition of what emerging Mm. is. It's a really interesting one because it always feels like when you're emerging, you're still Mm. reaching that sort of crescendo of where you're at. Um, Gallery representation versus showing with a gallery are two different things. So if you have an exclusive contractual Mm. relationship with a gallery, I would call that representation. If you show regularly with a gallery but on a sort of loose arrangement, I wouldn't call that representation. Right. And and I think Mm. that the relationship you have with a gallery, if it's... um, if it is representation and it's contractual, that gallery should then be working to grow your career. And that's why I think at that point you're no longer emerging. You're sort of onto the next stage of your career. Yeah. That's really... Just to clarify for those people, sorry, that are listening that are not from Australia, um, the the, pri- the NEAP prize, is that just for Australians? It is, unfortunately, Yes. I had a few people. There'll be um, people listening going, can we enter? Sorry. <laughs> like me going, no. I know. I know there are quite a few New Zealanders that look lovingly at that prize and think, do you think they'll let the Kiwis in this year? Oh, look, one day we might expand to be AUNZ, um, but at this stage it's mm. it's just Australia and it's it's become such a big prize. I don't know if we could manage it beyond the country borders at this stage, especially with the number of submissions. Funny, I remember. You'll have to do a second one. Maybe you'll just have to invent well, a whole other one. <laughs> Michael Reed Auckland. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Stranger things have happened. We can. We can... <laughs> Let's talk <Sorry>. off camera. <laughs> which I guess does really build into our next question, which is about how do you maintain a relationship with the gallery when you don't live in the same city? Because I find sometimes 
I always, when I can, and it was much easier before I had kids, would love to go in and actually see mm. the gallery, meet the staff before I entered into any sort of relationship. But it is, I mean, over COVID it was impossible and now I still find it quite difficult to travel that often to look for new galleries. Mm. How do, what's the best ways you've seen of artists going about that and building those relationships when they can't physically be present? Yeah, it's a tricky one, but I think I get to know certain artists by name because they're present across our channels. So they might be following us on Instagram, they might be subscribing to our newsletters, they might be registering their interest in some of our shows. And so while I might not be physically meeting them and I may not be speaking to them face to face, I'm just getting used to their names. And often when I see the same names popping up as liking or commenting on our um, our posts I might I might then click into their accounts and have a look at the kind of work they're doing so um, that's sort of a nice thing uh, it's difficult outside of your geog- geographical area to have that sort of casual in gallery you, you know glass of champagne mm. in hand looking at an exhibition but I think you can still feel like you're int- we can get a sense that you're interested in what we're doing just by means of seeing your name across our our materials. And so do you have people, have you represented people that are from overseas or from other areas that you've never actually met but you've done shows with them? Absolutely. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Do do you ever approach artists or do artists usually come to you through the NEAE program? Um, I am I'm always I'm always looking for artists so while we do receive a great number of submissions either directly through the gallery's email um, or the National Emerging Art Prize I'm just constantly looking so I might be scouting around on Instagram I might be going to a graduate show I might be going to other sort of small artist run Mm -hmm. galleries and seeing what they're putting on Um, so yeah I'm always hitting up artists um left field Mm. catching them by surprise when I I guess it must be quite nice to be to 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 like be the person that finds you might get a little thrill when you think this this is an this is a bit of a absolutely and that's the thing I think that motivates me and um I I see that probably as my key role within the the Michael Reed gallery group is that I am the finder I am sort of out there looking for those undiscovered artists and those diamonds in the rough that I think have the potential to be something and I can usually tell Mm. straight away if an um if an artist is commercially viable as well I can just tell what I think that the audience and the buyers will want um and and that the same Mm. goes with the National Emerging Art Prize I'm not one of the judges but I certainly review every submission before they go to the judging panel and often I will okay. spot artists that I think are, the sh- you know, a sure thing and they do not get selected by the mm. judges. They get overlooked for whatever reason mm. and I will then swoop in and contact those artists and give ah. them um, a show, whether it might be a solo or, or part of a group show because uh, I think I can see a certain quality about an artist that will work in a, in a gallery setting. Um, so what would you say that the most common mistakes that artists make that you mm, see? I could talk all day about this, <laughs> but I won't. Tell us. This is what we really want to know. This is what we want to know. Because it's really hard to discover these yeah. unless you're doing yeah. them yourself. And sometimes you're making the same mistake time and time again and no one tells you you need to stop doing that or you should try this a different way. Yeah, 
Yeah. Look, I think, again, like I said before, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to treat it as a job. So you can't be laissez-faire. You must be professional at all times. Don't hit up the gallery or the gallery director via Instagram direct message with some sort of, you know, how do I get a show with your gallery? Um, you wouldn't do that to PricewaterhouseCoopers or News Corp or any other sort of corporate job. Um, so you shouldn't be doing it with a gallery. <clears throat> um, don't just roll in off the street one day and, and strike up a conversation about your work with the gallery director or the, or the gallery staff who might be very busy in the throes of um, executing a, a gallery, a, an exhibition in the gallery at that time. Um, yeah, don't sort of have those conversations unannounced. Um, we do have people who walk in off the street and ask about showing with us without having done very much preparation at all and that straight away puts us off. Um, mm -hmm. With social media, like I said, you know, the, the direct message function on Instagram is no way to apply for a job and it's certainly no way to apply for a show. And similarly, um, there are so many artists out there who when they're posting their work on Instagram will just tag me in the photo obviously to get my attention mm. but nothing irritates me more because it's I don't know who they get I get notifications, notifications I don't know who they are it then goes into my um, permanent feed under tagged photos and so I then have to go and untag myself and so that straight away puts you on the wrong on the wrong foot and, and I'm mm -hmm. irritated um, and often do you know what's interesting hmm. about that is I remember applying or looking at an international art prize once and it said in the rules and, you know, suggested things for you to do is to tag the director in your mm. um, artwork that you're applying. So do you know what? It can be really mm. hard as an artist to know what the rules mm. are because you can sometimes you can think, oh, that's how I do it. But there's never one hard and fast rule. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. I'm sure that. So it's interesting to hear from your I, point I, of view. I think that advice mm. is well-meaning. But if you've got 150 artists tagging you in their photos on a daily basis mm -hmm. it's just noise and I don't have a chance to look mm -hmm. at it and in my mind it feels lazy it feels like you're not mm -hmm. doing the hard yards um like I proposed earlier on how to approach a gallery tagging me on social media mm -hmm. just doesn't feel right to me it um I you know there might be some galleries out there who mm -hmm. do like that but I can't imagine I can't imagine that to be the case and similarly, mm -hmm. people will um, just forward me posts that they've put up into my direct messages without any um, description mm. or reason for sending it to me. It's just to get my attention. But again, it's sort of out of context. I don't have any information, mm. further information about them. So I will tend to just disregard it. Mm. Yeah. Another um it can be so overwhelming. It is overwhelming, but I think if you keep in mind that it's a professional job um, and you go about it in oh, that yeah. way, that should guide your behaviour. Um, another thing that artists do mm. fairly often, um, and it's a huge red flag, is that they will turn up to another artist opening and use that as an opportunity to find me and get their phone out and start showing me their portfolio of work. And, yeah. you know, it's just the wrong time and the wrong place. That opening is about the artist who's exhibiting and it's really no time to talk mm. about your work. So, yeah, that's um, yeah. quite a common technique but a very bad one. What about um, in, as far as the artwork? Like are there mistakes that you see in terms of when you get those submissions and you just you just go, 
not again. Why, why, why are people not getting it? <laughs> like, well, look, I think, I think all is the work is, is so different, but I think what I'm looking for again is that consistency that you have hit a point where you know your work and that you can be consistent and you can deliver on it. Um, you know, galleries are expensive to run and to take on a new artist is a bit of a risk. So what we're looking for is confidence in an artist that they can to deliver a full mm. exhibition that we think is going to be commercially viable and to give us that mm. level of comfort that your work um, is scalable. You know, it's not just one or two good works. It's the ability to envisage what a whole exhibition of your work might look like. So whatever you can do mm. to sort of mm. give us that level of comfort is going to be helpful. And it might be that you've prepared a little PDF um, which is sort of mm. a portfolio of your work. Um, I know that artists often have really good websites and they'll just send the link to their website, but you need to kind of do the hard work for us. Don't just send us the link to your Instagram or your webpage. Mm. Pull together the work mm. that you want us to look at and explain to us why we should look at it, why that work would suit our mm. gallery and what the narrative behind the work might be. Mm -hmm. because that's what I was going to ask about like do you see sort of really bad photography and I'm not going to judge you you on your photography and you know iPhone photography is fine I'm not expecting this to be a polished presentation I can usually see through that I just need to see that the work is strong yeah right well that's good to know because I think that that has been something that's put people off the thought of like oh I've got all this work but you know I can't afford to get Mm. a professional photographer in to get photos of it and Mm. I don't know how to make a I don't know how to make a presentation document and all of this those things become obstacles sometimes sort of um obstacles that are almost invented as a kind of procrastination absolutely and it doesn't we don't need it to be polished um we just need it to be clear and that you've put a bit of time mm. into thinking about how the what you're sending to us so it doesn't feel like it's just scraped together or lazy we want to see that you're really motivated mm. and you're ready to be part of a commercial gallery mm. as well you know you said earlier about attaching an artist bio and like a introduction into why that particular artist would want to work with mm. your gallery do you often want to see like an artist statement as well where an artist is talking about their work in depth or do you think that's not Yes. So I think the most important thing for me is your cover letter, which is your, you know, your introductory email to me, which you in a few well-chosen words will explain to me why you're contacting me and why you're interested in showing with our gallery. That's the most important thing. The artist bio is a really short summary that I don't want to read your whole CV, but I do want to sort of see um, if you went to art school, when and where, um, if you're self-taught, why um and any sort of accolades that you've achieved maybe you've been a winner or you've been um a finalist in some art prizes or um anything like that that is of note that i you think i should know just you know a couple of lines or a paragraph is plenty but then if you've included a body of work or some examples of your work i am if the work gets my attention then i probably am interested to read the artist statement that goes with that work so i can understand where that work has come from and what motivated it, what inspired it, a little bit more narrative mm. to help me understand you as an artist. But the, the most important thing mm. is that I'm going to look at the work and be interested in it, you know, on a first viewing mm-hmm. without having to dig too too deeply. 
it's a visual medium, so it's, it's really so, going to, I'll know when I look at it whether I think it's worth exploring mm. or not. I think that's such an interesting conversation because so often I think we get stuck in there. You know, should I be attaching the pictures or inserting them into the email or do they need to be professionally photographed instead of I need this to be a personal approach mm. where I've tailored it to fit that particular gallery instead of mm. getting all of the admin details perfect? Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I know that when I receive a submission, it's probably not going to be just for my gallery, but I certainly don't want to feel like it's a generic one that some an, art, an artist has sat down one day and just looked, you know, looked through all of the commercial galleries and got their email addresses and especially not BCC. But if I feel like it's, you know, dear sir or madam or to who it might concern, mm -hmm. take the time to work out who the curator or the director of the gallery is and tailor it to that person. Mm. So you're speaking one-to-one. -one. And do you think that artists should just approach one gallery at a time and wait to hear back? Or if you're looking for representation or a show would it be okay if you had like a certain amount of works available like you were suggesting earlier to approach a few galleries do them you know tailor them to fit mm. and see sort of what comes up yeah I would go with you you know do them in priority order on any given day I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with maybe applying to three five um, galleries that you're particularly interested in but beyond that I, I feel like then you're just taking a scattergun approach and um, put your best work into those applications, sit back and see what happens and then um, go for an, an, another lot. Mm. Yeah. I can't think of anything – well, actually, no, I can. I was going to say I can't think of anything worse than two galleries saying yes at the same time and then I was like, oh, I suppose that's better than no galleries. <laughs> that's a pretty that, – <laughs> I can, Julie. No galleries. <laughs> that's a pretty good situation to be in. Yeah. We had a bit of I a broken night sleep really last night here, so my thought process is a bit <laughs> – Understood. <laughs> it's all right in your ivory tower there oh. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it must be nice <laughs> I, I feel like you've co you've covered a lot of things in terms of mistakes is there any other particular bits of advice that you would give to artists wanting to pursue representation yeah definitely and I I think the main thing is to think about why you want gallery representation is it you know, is it for clout? Is it to say that you're represented by XYZ Gallery? Um, is it because you want the regularity of work? Do you want to take, do you just want a gallery to take away all of the sort of clerical administration and transaction of selling and doing that client facing side of things? I think you really need to think about why it is that you want to be with a gallery in the first place. Um, if you're already selling enough work through your website or your social media or through um, an artist-run space, do you need a gallery? Um, it's not for everyone. Um, working with a gallery is definitely a two-way relationship. Galleries are going to take 40 or 50% commission in return for selling your work and um, handling the transactions and the logistics and growing your audience and bu building a collector pipeline. And they should be um, committed to a long-term relationship with you. So I think the main thing is to make sure that you're choosing a gallery that will do this and not just a gallery that's going to hoard your work and sell it on consignment without investing the time into growing you as an artist. Mm. So I think that's the main thing to think about when you're approaching a gallery. Is that is that going to work for you? Um, yeah. What does growing you as an artist look like? Like what, because I know lots of people are like, what does a good gallery relationship look mm. like? What should it entail? 
I know that with the artists that I work with, I work with them very closely. So I'm going to be talking to them about what they're painting, how they're painting, how we might scale their work up, um, when are the right intervals to um, increase their prices, um, gall uh, art prizes that I think they should put their work forward to, how often they should show, all of those sorts of things. Um, it's, it, it's working together very closely on all aspects of their work and also helping to grow their audience. So they might already have, um, a lot of artists will say they already sell very well on Instagram, but that pool of artists is going to be um, finite and you're going to need to eventually find new buyers. And what we wanna do is find new buyers, but also buyers that have bigger budgets. Um, so that I think to put your prices up to a certain point, um, sort of, once you hit the five or $6,000 mark, I think it's very hard to price your work higher than that without the endorsement of a of gallery behind you. Mm. And I think that's probably one of the biggest advantages of having a gallery who's prepared to say, we like this work, we um, recognise mm. this artist as being collectible, you should buy it and you should pay X amount of money for it. So we are going to help that artist to achieve those goals it almost sounds like a mentorship program within the representation. Absolutely. Like you're working really closely mm, with those. Yeah. Would you say that's common across most galleries? No. Or do you think because you're often working with emerging artists, it's more tailored? Well, I know that that's what I do because I am working with emerging artists who are looking for a lot of guidance. But when I look at my colleagues across the Michael Reed Gallery Network, we've, we've got six galleries and we're working with some really um, accomplished artists. I know that the gallery directors are always working very closely with those artists um it, it, it's a relationship and it's not just you know your mm. show's coming up on this date and the works get delivered and we put on an exhibition and yeah. then hope for the best it's very much um a, a year a, yeah, around around the year yeah. you know between exhibitions there is a lot of communication and meetings and studio visits going on i know that i mm. have artists who have gained representation with other galleries and they're very excited about that and then they are disappointed because it's not what they expected and they have sort of been signed on to this exclusive relationship with a gallery who then doesn't do much with them other than sort of request a body of work put it in the gallery mm -hmm. and if it doesn't sell returns the work or sticks it in the stockroom for a while and doesn't give them that mentoring that they're looking for or that sort of two-way feedback and I think that's really important um in mm -hmm. in gallery i mean it might, you might not be looking for mentoring you might just be looking for a beautiful space to put your work but i feel like to take yeah. the commission that we do you need to be the artist needs to be getting something from that so that's what i'm always mindful yeah. of i think that is the difference oh. between like there is a big difference between having someone just take your work and have someone represent you and grow your career mm. it's I mean, that's the, the dream and I think that's mm. when, the you know, giving the commission away, you don't even think about it when yeah. someone is doing all of those things for you. That's right. And, you know, a good commercial gallery will be um, pursuing press for you. They'll be um, looking at mm -hmm. institutions to collect your work, um, speaking with Art Bank, you know, all of those sorts of things that are very hard for an artist yeah. to do on their own. Your gallery mm. should be doing that behind the scenes for you regularly educating mm. the audience about your work, giving the heads up about, about new mm. bodies of work and, and why they think it's collectible. You know, there's, there's so much 
um, nuance to what the gallery is doing behind the scenes that gives buyers confidence to spend their money on one artist over another. And I think that can't be, um, yeah, I mean, that that's no amount of money can pay for that sort of um, endorsement. It's, you know, Absolutely. no one needs art. They want art. And mm. it, it's a lot of money to spend. So I think to have an, a gallery go out and, and back you is it's invaluable. Yeah, mm, absolutely. For sure. Wow. I think your artists are very lucky to have someone so passionate. <laughs> I love it. I love working with the artists. And, the, you know, that this is one of those things that when, I, when you go back to the beginning of the process, I can tell straight away when somebody sends through a submission that, you know, I can tell they've got the right attitude and they're professional and they're keen to grow and they're motivated. Mm-hmm. I don't want to work mm-hmm. with dizzy artists who can't deliver. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I spoke in our last oh, a couple of episodes ago with the fact that I had an interesting, complicated issue come up when I had told one of my galleries that I was pregnant and they told someone that wanted to buy my work that I wasn't making anymore because I was having a baby. And that sort of put me in a really, I felt really awkward about it. And then when I was pregnant with my second son, I just didn't tell my galleries because I was like, I don't know, I don't know how to approach that. And I was, while well, I had you here, I was like, I had a lot of people reach out and say, oh, I've been wondering what to do with this too. We have a lot of artist mothers who listen to the podcast mm. who just don't know, mm. do you tell your gallery? Are you, you know, is it okay to take six months off? Mm. I didn't take any time off because I I don't didn't want to this time around. But I guess I'm interested in hearing a gallery's point of view of what you should be doing or how, what, how you should be approaching these things mm. because it is, I've got no idea. I've had a lot of, mm. of my artists um, have babies in the last couple of years and it's certainly not something that I would see as a negative. I'd, I wouldn't be telling my collectors that they're not making any more work. I might explain that they're taking a hiatus because they are having a baby. But I certainly wouldn't see this as an impediment to to showing an artist and I don't necessarily think it's – I mean, the gallery doesn't even need to know, but because my artists work closely with me, of course, they've told me that. And it also just means that in terms of scheduling, I might make sure I don't give them a big solo show right in the thick of when they've got a newborn. So um, that's that's the only practicality about it. I certainly wouldn't be communicating that the work is in any way unavailable because they've had a baby. No, mm. that seems a bit strange to me, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, it was it was a strange situation and I stopped working with that gallery. Mm. Like it doesn't bother me anymore. But it did put me like when I got pregnant again, I was like, Oh I don't really know. Last time I thought I did the proper thing and told my galleries and I was still taking commissions and was still trying to find time to work mm. but sort of said, Look, I don't know what my lead times will be with work mm. and this time around I almost got like shell shocked of thinking, I don't was that the wrong thing to do? Mm. What's the right thing to do? Yeah. And when you've got I think when you're working on your own as an artist and like these days I've got a better network of artist friends and talk about it a bit more but it's hard to know who and how to ask for advice on those sorts of things yeah and look all Mm. artists are different um some of my female artists have absolutely pushed through their the late stages of their pregnancy and with the newborns they've sort of strapped the newborn to them and they're still in the studio others have intended to do that but then realize that that's not feasible and they can't possibly do that so um I, I want to be able to be flexible and, and cater to what the artist needs and not over-promise their work to an audience um, of collectors when I don't have that work forthcoming. 
but I would be very clear in communicating that, you know, within this calendar cycle, um, we may only have the odd um, stockroom piece released rather than a full body of work. Um, but then maybe say, you know, in 2024, we're looking forward to a, a new represent a new body of work by this artist in, in March so that they've got something to look forward to. But I certainly wouldn't say there's no more work coming. I don't think that's helping the artist at all. Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I, I, I do, I did want to ask um, the question, which we didn't put on this list here, of what do you, what's been your biggest failure in, in, in your kind of career as a curator? Have you had a moment where you've gone, oh gosh, this went really wrong? And what did you learn from that? And how did it impact how you do things now? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, without sounding completely obnoxious, I don't think I've had any any failures um it doesn't have to be monumental it could just be like a, a you know beginning stage um, where you're sort of feeling your way and I think maybe if I have been juggling a lot of artists and upcoming exhibitions and maybe I haven't been checking in so much on an artist that's new to me and seeing their work in progress and suddenly their their exhibition is imminent and I finally look at the body of work and it isn't what I'd hoped it mm. to be and it's too late to give feedback that's probably a situation that I've been in once or twice that I'm not completely comfortable with and would be my own fault for not being more diligent in in checking in with that artist um, mm. that's probably the only times where I felt I could do things better but I do like to keep up that level of communication with all my artists and and dot my I's and cross my T's and I'm also working closely with my gallery managers and gallery assistants to make sure that nothing drops through the cracks um, and nothing mm. catches us out or, or anything by surprise. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the main thing where I've gone wrong in the past. What, what, would, you do, what would you do in that situation? So now, say, you do, so now you're checking mm. in with people and you, you've got a show coming back up in it's in six months time or years time and you're, you're checking in and the artist says yep this is what I'm working on and you get that kind of oh this mm. isn't you know quite right how, how do you deal with that situation if like, they yeah so what, I, what? I I never want to thwart an artist's creative process so sometimes they will present some examples of new work um so I guess this must be might be a good idea an example um artists that I've worked with for years sometimes will show me new work which is quite out of step with work they've done in the past and I understand mm. that work is not static and it does change and evolve over time but I guess the feedback that I have to give these artists is that you need to take the audience along with you you can't change yeah. your style too dramatically um, because you'll still have a part of the audience who might have missed out on your last show and they are still hoping to collect something of a similar nature and if we give you a new show where the work is so different it almost doesn't feel like it's by the same artist you will mm. alienate that audience and and there will be a, a proportion of collectors that feel um like they're unsatisfied because they've they've missed out completely mm. so i think change big changes in your style need to be transitional so your your new body of work mm. might be something that's more like your old work and some new works but they're still bound by sort of a common narrative 
um, so that you're changing mm-hmm. in increments. There have been occasions where I've let an artist have a new body of work that is very different to what they've shown before, even though I've maybe tried to forewarn the artist that there might be it might be met with a bit of resistance from the audience. Some some artists are stubborn and that's what they want to do, but that show may not be a commercial success as they've been used to in the past because the audience has not caught up with the work. So mm-hmm. yeah, those are those are situations where it can be tricky. Um, but I think that's where open communication mm-hmm. between the artist and the curator are really important. And the artist does need to be in a position where they're being allowed to be creative, but also need to take on um, that feedback. Because at the end of the day, com- um, commercial galleries are not museums. They're not there to show the work. No. They're there to to be commercially viable. They've got rent and staff and technology costs and all sorts of things that need to be covered and we can't afford to put on a Mm. a body of work that doesn't sell even if the artist Mm. is very um, into that body of work and very committed to it Um, we're all for being creative but at the same time we the work needs to sell Mm -hmm. oh that's that's really yeah that's Mm. really interesting yeah how long how long should an artist give a gallery to sell a piece of work like what um, well, I guess if it's an exhibition, it would be nice to see at least three quarters of a show sell within the exhibition time. And then anything that's left, we like to keep those works for up to six months because um, the marketing for an artist goes beyond that exhibition duration. If, if you've yeah. just sent mm-hmm. them a few pieces um, f- for their stockroom or as a special release or something of that nature... I think that yeah. artists should, the gallery should be comfortably able to sell that work within three to six months. Um, most artists are happy to leave the work with a gallery for 12 months. Beyond that, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> don't don't yeah. let your work stagnate in the, in, the, in the bowels of a gallery stockroom. Yeah. If they're not actively promoting that work, um, even if we have a stockroom work or some leftover pieces from an exhibition, we will re-release them we will um feature them again on our social media we might include them as a curator's pick on one of our edms that goes out to the audience you need to keep giving that work airtime that shouldn't be languishing in in the back room yeah Mm. Ah. right well um i I want to know do you do you paint (laughs) i get asked this quite a lot and my answer is no. I might be an amazing painter. I haven't had a go at it yet, so I might save that for um, my twilight years. <laughs> Do you dabble in pottery at all? I know it's a love of yours. Not well, no, not even that. I, I my love is writing, so um, mm. all my creative time goes into writing my books about um, artists who I think are doing a much better job than myself. <laughs> And I know you've got two new books in the pipeline at the moment. Can you tell us any sneak peeks about mm, what they're about? I can't. But I think that if you ah. if you look at the books I've done to date and you think about genres that I might not have approached yet, that's probably going to be oh. a bit of a giveaway. Quite a few people have come up okay. to me and they've guessed what I'm working on. So it's not um not completely unexpected, I don't think. And when are they coming out? The, one, the current one I'm working on... 
I need to submit the manuscript by November and that will come out October 2024, just in time for Christmas. So it's, it's sort of a year's process to get a book done from mm-hmm. where to go. Um, and the other one will come out the following year. You're a busy woman. I am you? a busy woman. <laughs> Thank you so much well, for your time On that today. point, yeah, yeah. We, should, we should not keep you My any pleasure. longer. No, it's um, been so it's been interesting really... and I feel like I've found out so much. So hopefully all of our listeners find it equally as informative. Um, mm. If they want to find you, your what's the best place to look up you and your work? You and your yeah. um, Well, my Instagram is just amber underscore creswell underscore bell. So I'm pretty active on there. You can usually find what I'm up to on there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, if you Google my name, you'll find my website and that's usually quite up to date. Or look up Michael Reed, and you can find me there too. I'm not hard to find. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. We'll put all of those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great chat. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so useful. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I I just know that the the listeners are going to get a lot from this. Yeah, absolutely. um, To to hear, you know, the the wisdom (laughs) straight from, from from you is just it's gold so it will it will do a lot of boosting morale i think of how it doesn't have to be a, a daunting and scary process it can actually be quite straightforward and um mm-hmm. you know and if you do get rejected it no, doesn't mean the end which is which is really hopeful actually i think if you can be pro- professional and don't procrastinate you will make progress in your career just do the work and, uh, <laughs> put it all put it all into practice that's right <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks ladies. so much. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.